Um, I do wanna linger for a moment though on Easter. I wanna spend just a little bit, a little bit more time on the Easter story. Um, we know that Easter is about his death, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection. But I think if we pause long enough and absorb the full truth of Easter, then we can see that it is also in part about our death and our resurrection. It's a picture for us of this journey of giving life to find life. It's this picture in this journey of what it means to live a life of surrender. Not talking about our literal death, of course, not talking about the death that we do not choose, but thinking about the invitation to live a life following Jesus, following him into his death, following him into a life of surrender and letting go and finding parts of ourselves, the parts of ourselves that, by the way, if we don't let them die, they're gonna kill us. Those parts of ourselves where we're holding on to things that need to be let go of. And so I wanna journey with us for a moment this morning on that picture of Easter, that death, that space between and that resurrection. Because I think if you're anything like me, we can spend a lot of time thinking about the death, the Good Friday moment of Easter. And we can spend a lot of time on the Sunday, the resurrection day, but sometimes we can miss the space in between. What we might call Holy Saturday, that space in between what was and what will be. That space in between the hopes, the expectations, and that space between something new emerging. I would suggest to us that it's the space in between death and resurrection where transformation happens. It's the space between death and resurrection where movement happens. It's the space between where, as my friend likes to say with a smile, shift happens, okay? This transformation happens where what was is no longer and what will be is not here yet and all that we have is what is. And I would suggest to us that for, for most of us, most of our life is lived in the messy middle space in between where something has died. Maybe it's a part of ourselves, a part of ourselves that wasn't serving us well anymore. It was a, a people-pleasing part of us. It was a controlling part of us. It was an addictive part of us. Something that had to be let go of. Or maybe it's something even external external circumstances came along and a dream died. A set of expectations died, a set of hopes died. What we thought the world was gonna be like has died. And what is gonna emerge out of that hasn't yet appeared. And in the Easter story, we see this reality that the journey from death to pause to resurrection is a journey that takes three days. But I would suggest for most of us that the, the journey, the, the place where the transformation, the movement, the shift happens is often so much longer than a day. It's actually this messy, middle, hard space. It's lonely, it's confusing. Things don't make sense anymore. The way we thought things worked don't work anymore. And so in the Easter story, we see this example that we learn so much about the disciples and about ourselves, not by looking at the death or the resurrection, though we learn things about them too, but in pausing for a moment and examining this space in between. 
Because what we find in that moment is the disciples are locked up in a room. The doors are locked tightly and they're in a space and we don't have the narrative of what they're talking about, but the fact that they are locked up in this space tells us something. It tells us that they are filled with fear, despair, confusion, questions that are not being answered. See, they had expectations about what Jesus' life was gonna be about, that he was gonna free them from the oppressors of the Romans over them. And I can look back in history and I can scoff at that perception of who Jesus was going to be. And yet the reality is, is that I so often have those expectations about Jesus even today. But my expectation of him is so often that he's going to free me from the thing that is oppressing me, the thing that is over me, the thing that the, uh, the boss, the, the situation, the experience, whatever it may be. And here these disciples find themselves locked up in a room. And we get a glimpse of how shut up they were by the fact that when Jesus appears, he appears just by moving through the wall. Now, maybe he was just doing what I would have done. He was kind of showing off his new body, right? Hey, look at this. Whoa, hey. And probably that's part of what he was doing. But I think it's also for us a symbol of the fact of how tightly those doors were shut that knocking on the door on the outside was not gonna open anything up because the disciples were so riddled with fear and riddled with doubt and riddled with desperation and loneliness and questions and anguish that Jesus had to appear through all of that. And I think it's true for many of us this morning that we find ourselves in the space in between what was and what will be. And it can feel lonely, and hard and challenging. Before we get to that place, some context though of what this invitation to surrender looks like. In Luke 9, Jesus says this. Jesus said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? It's this invitation from Jesus. It's a call to courage. It's a call to surrender. It's a call to let go of the things that don't matter and take hold of the things that do. A wise man has said that we don't wanna spend our life climbing the ladder only to find at the end of our lives that the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. And Jesus is challenging the people in Luke 9. He's challenging them to examine the striving, the climbing. He's challenging them to examine what wall their ladder is leaning against. And he's giving them this total paradigm shift of thinking, of saying that the way that this journey to freedom works is not through a, a journey of grabbing as much as you can. It's about surrendering and letting go. It's about a journey of death and pause and resurrection. Earlier on in that chapter, in Luke chapter nine, Jesus is speaking to a, a young man and he says to the man, follow me. And the man says, let me first bury my father. Seems like a pretty fair request, right? But what the man wasn't saying was a literal like, hey, my father just died. I need 48 hours. We're burying him at 10 a.m. on Thursday and then I'm ready to roll. What he was really communicating to Jesus was this. Let me first wait until I have received my inheritance. 
Let me first wait until I have first received the establishment and the security and the assurance of his finances, his identity, his standing in society. Wait until I first have all of those things and then I will follow you on the adventure that you've invited me into. And for some of us, for, for all of us in fact, myself included, one of the challenges of moving into a rhythmic relationship with Jesus of death and pause and resurrection is that the death is so hard to do because we have this list of noble, honorable, what I would call let me firsts. This list of things that on the surface seems so right. Jesus, I will follow you into that life of surrender, but let me first get this degree. Let me first get married. Let me first establish myself in the business community. Let me first have some successes, right? You ever have those things as a kid with God? I know I did, uh, where I would have these prayers to God about um, like, God, if I make it to the NBA, I'm sure I did, then let me first. I didn't know, my dad's 5'4", but you never know, okay? We were praying. I used to play basketball every single day in our utility room and have the microwave as the timer, you know, like counting down to this. I received a lot of radiation as a kid, okay, being in that place. But you ever have that as a kid? Let me first. And this man turns to Jesus who has invited him into the adventure of a lifetime and he says, let me first bury my father. And Jesus says, to follow me, you must first bury yourself. That the reality is this isn't about an erasing of yourself. This is about a finding of yourself, of allowing the things to die that if you do not let them die, they will take your life. The things of seeking for identity or fame or success or riches or all of these things that carry the illusion of security, but that when we actually reach them, we find the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. Another man has said that we spend so much of our lives climbing the ladder, even though we do not know what is at the top of the ladder, and even though we fail to realize what is already at the bottom that is love, acceptance, belonging, that it is already there. So two wise men keep telling us not to climb ladders, okay? There's the big lesson for the day. So we said at the beginning that Easter is about our death and our resurrection as much as it is about his. It gives us this picture and here's what we know about the truth of this invitation to surrender our lives to him is that if we will take care of the death, he will take care of the resurrection. But he will never force the death. He will never force you to let go of the things that you are holding on to. But he will invite you to see that the things you are holding on to are keeping you from taking hold of something so much more valuable. The martyr Jim Elliot said that he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And this invitation of surrender is to say that if I wanna step into the place of transformation, the tra place of movement, the place of a shifting internally within me, then I first have to step into the phase one of that journey, which is a place of death, a place of surrender. The space in between those things, once we've received that invitation, is this messy space. It's where, as we said before, what was is no longer and what will be is not here yet. And so we find ourselves in the middle. 
And that can be the really difficult time to show up at church because it's really nice to show up at church on the other side of this story, right? It's really nice to look back on transformation in the rear view mirror, right? To see that, oh man, I used to be this way, but now I'm this way, or my life used to be this way, but now it's this way. It can be extremely challenging and lonely and hard to show up in the middle space because we, much like the disciples of Jesus, we wanna keep ourselves locked up and shut up. And maybe this morning you have shown up to church, and I totally get it, where you are locked up and shut up. There are walls going up in here, and the only person who can move through closed walls and closed doors is Jesus. Because of who he is, because he has first been on that journey too. The reason I'm sharing this story, this journey of death and um, of Uh, pause and of resurrection is because for me over the last four or five months or so, I have felt God, um, I was going to say inviting me, it was more sort of a uh, kind of that kind of thing, um, into this this journey, right? It was a, but with a smile and and a wink. And so, but, so here's what happened about five or six months ago. I had a, a, a friend came and he said, I felt like I have a word from God for you. And he said, the word is turbulence. Now, first of all, here's what you need to know. If you've got a word for me, I have a list of word, of acceptable words, okay? <laughs> Prosperity is one, riches is one, success is one, fame is one, okay? If Dr. J is listening, let him know, okay? I'm not taking, the words that are unacceptable are trouble and turbulence and all these things, right? Nobody wants turbulence. You never, on an airplane and the captain goes, folks, I got some good news for you. We discovered a weather pattern 10 miles north of here. We are hanging a left. And we're gonna hit that baby and everyone cheers, right? I am, I'm not a big fan of turbulence, okay? I've given my life more time to Jesus on an airplane than anywhere else in the world. Just holding on, sweaty palms, all those things, okay? Um, it's this terrifying reality. And yet there's also a reality, if you ever noticed, that turbulence in our lives helps us surface what really matters, Right, it helps us, if you've ever had like a, a near-death experience or something like that, it helps surface what really matters. And so what happened in this, in this journey for me of, of death and pause and resurrection was, and there's a lot of context to it, which I can't share this morning, but I can only share it from my perspective, which is that in my position as a leader, I really made some critical mistakes. That's just the truth. Brene Brown says, clear is kind. And in a case of my leadership, I was unclear and therefore unkind. I am not a man who would sit face to face with you and lie to you, right? Which of course is what a liar would say. But I am, I'm not a man who would. But the reality is that I discovered in my leadership that what I had done was not tell the truth clearly and consistently And that is a form of manipulation, right? Ouch. And when this kind of first went down, like I ended up running to two extremes. And again, there's a lot more context to it. I get it. There's, you know, we got a little time, not a long time here. It doesn't, it's not about my story. It's about our story, right? Frederick Buechner says, the story of one of us is in a sense the story of all of us. So I'm not trying to shine the spotlight on me in this case. But when this first went down, I ran to two extremes. One extreme was total shame, total fear, 
right, locking up the walls, right? And the other extreme, which sometimes these flips happen just hourly, was to the other extreme, which was kind of puffed out chest arrogance, right? Like, I'm the leader, I made, make tough choices, etc. I can tell you from experience that both extremes are BS, right? Which in the Greek means not good ideas, okay? <laughs> and there's a reality where what happened in that moment is that I had to come face to face that things that had kept me, that I felt had kept me alive needed to die. The people pleaser part of me, it had kept me alive, but it was time to let it die because what had kept me alive for so many years was not gonna keep me alive going forward. The part of me that wants to rescue, which really is a nice word for controlling, right? <laughs> controlling emotions, controlling others, had to die. The part of me that hides when people don't like me had to die. And I wish I could tell you that I went skipping and whistling to my death. And this isn't like a one time, I'm not telling you I'm healed here. This isn't, this isn't a thing, right? I got a lot of life left, hopefully, to make more mistakes, etc. But it was this journey of entering in a death and a long pause and a resurrection. In the midst of all of that, I wrote this to Jesus. I said, Jesus, I do want you to transform me. But if I'm honest, I want you to wave a wand and poof, I'm transformed. This painful reality is really hard. This looking in the mirror is really hard. The time this is taking is really hard. It is painful to move through the journey of death and pause and transformation and movement and shifting through to the other side. It doesn't, neither case I think happens on our schedule. But there's a reality for us as well that if we are gonna be men and women who choose to live lives of surrender, the reality is that we do want the transformation on the other side. And here's how we know that. Would you go and watch a movie of a man in his late 40s who dies and comes back to life and he's still grouchy and he's still frustrated and he still goes to Chick-fil-A every Tuesday because there's discounts, all right? Not a great story, folks. It's not a great story. We wanna see, we wanna sit with men and women who have been through the death, the pause, and the resurrection, and we find that they are transformed. That now, like Jesus in a figurative sense, they are able to walk through walls that they could not walk through before. They are able to walk through closed doors that they could not open before because they understand that those walls and those doors never should have been there in the first place, that actually those walls and those doors were keeping them from life that was out there waiting for them. We see in, the, in this um, reality, we see in the, life of G, in the life of Peter, excuse me, this man who represents, I think, for us, this journey of death and pause and transformation and resurrection. He, like with the other disciples, would have been um, locked up in that room, afraid, disappointed, fearful, confused, all of these things. It wasn't going the way that it was supposed to go. If you find yourselves in a situation in life right now where it isn't going the way it was supposed to go, what is happening is this journey, this invitation 
to surrender those things. And we find Peter, and when the soldiers come to take Jesus on the night of his betrayal in the Garden of Gethsemane, the soldiers come and Peter does what we expect him to do. He draws his sword. He cuts off the soldier's ear. And Jesus essentially turns to him, and I think in the original Greek says, what the heck are you doing? All right, this is not how this works. That the way that freedom comes is not through fighting back, but the way that freedom comes is by willingly choosing to step into surrender, to step into a death, to step into a place of loneliness and hardness and all of these things, but Peter has a hard time, and I get it, because I would have had a hard time with that too. He, only, he wanted Jesus to be the kind of savior that I still want him to be today. Rescue me from the things that are constraining me, whatever that is, whatever that looks like. And because Jesus moves, he walks with the soldiers towards his death, Peter does what we would all do. He goes into a place of denial. Right, not just denial of Jesus, sure, but denial of all of the truth. Denial of what he had named to be true. Denial of his own journey. Denial of his own transformation. All of those things. And it is years later that we catch up with Peter on the other side of all of this. Again, showing us that it doesn't happen in three days for most of us. Okay, Jesus was fast, all right? Let's just be real. He was fast. For us, it doesn't happen. Takes time, takes years. That until the transformation has happened, then that thing that is over us isn't yet done with us. And on the other side of this, Peter writes this in 1 Peter 2 in his letter. He says, This is the kind of life you've been invited into, the kind of life. Christ lived. He suffered everything that came his way so you would know that it could be done and also know how to do it step by step. He never did one thing wrong, not once said anything amiss. They called him every name in the book and he said nothing back. He suffered in silence, content to let God set things right. That Peter understood on the other side of this, he had been through his own death, his own pause, his own space between to come out the other side a different man who no longer was interested in drawing his sword, but now is interested in instead committing himself to him who judges righteously. And so the invitation for all of us is to look at the things in our life that are actually not giving us life. We often say, right, in, in churches, and I get it, come and give your life to Jesus. The reality is, without Jesus, we don't have any life to give. We could say it a little differently. We could say, come find life from Jesus and give your death to Jesus. That is the exchange of surrender. That we are not giving him our life, we are giving him the thing that is taking life from us. And choosing as men and women to live lives of surrender and choosing to wait as long as it takes in the middle space for transformation to happen, for movement to happen, for growth to happen so that when we come out of the other side that we might be men and women like Jesus who can move through the earth and move through walls that shouldn't have been there in the first place. Let's stand together.